founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Anthony Pereira, founder and CEO of AirPros USA. At only 34 years old, Anthony is focusing on making his company a major home services company throughout the country. Headquartered in Davie, Florida, AirPros USA was founded on the premise of integrity, reliability, and putting customers first. With AirPros USA, Pereira created a sophisticated marketing plan that is customer-focused with pioneering techniques and lead generation and customer service-based platforms. Under Pereira's guidance, AirPros has had rapid expansion through internal growth and acquisitions and finished 2021 with $85 million in revenue. The company aims to reach $140 million in revenue just this year. Pereira has always been a serial entrepreneur. He's had a passion for building companies and brands and marketing them accordingly. At age 19, he launched his first business and has kept shooting for the moon ever since, launching countless businesses along with other philanthropic ventures. Here to share all that experience and knowledge is Anthony. So Anthony, my friend, welcome to the podcast. Man, that, that intro sounds uh, so much better than it actually is. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we do a good job of polishing you. You do, no, man. man. I, I feel like a rock star. Thank you for that. Let's go. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So we touched a little bit on what we could gather about you and your story and that kind of thing, but uh, take me back. When did you think you caught the entrepreneurial bug and how did you get into this this whole thing? Yeah, you know, I, I, I probably would say I caught it early on. You know, my parents are both entrepreneurs. Um, you know, they, they own a number, couple of businesses growing up and I've always been intrigued by the kind of business philosophies and, you know, um, more so on my mom's side. You know, my, my dad was in the HVAC sector as a technician and sales guy, uh, not necessarily on, on an ownership perspective. Um, but early on, I've always kind of been intrigued by business, how it operates, Um you know, having launched my first business at 18, going to 19, it was really a, um, kind of a, from a, pa- a passion I've had ever since. And so, you know, I think if I had to go back and look at where I got that, that gene from, probably my, my mom's side. Okay. And what do you think about that was, a, it was attractive to you? Was it the freedom, you know, that you get to be creative, express yourself, live your own schedule, your life. What, what was it? Yeah, I think, I think it's the, the, the creative ability, right? I mean, everybody has a creative bone in their body, whether you're an artist or, or you know, or a painter, or a, you know, a chef, a musician. Uh, everybody has some level of creative bone in their body. I think my creative bone is I like building businesses. I like scaling companies. I mean, it allows me to be creative and, and building companies and processes that help them scale. And I think I've really found that's my, that's my creative gift I was given. Um, and I've really kind of used that to, to build, you know, companies, companies over my career. What was that first business that you launched? Yeah. So, um, the first company I started was, was actually a magazine company, uh, became a multimedia business, but initially started off as a magazine business, uh, catering to off-road racing, uh, mud trucks, swamp buggies, ATVs, four wheelers, um, you know, really kind of a cool uh, off-road publication. And it was out of a... I was racing the tri. So I grew up in Ocala, born in South Florida, grew up in Central Florida. And in that market, you know, mud racing was picking up and we, we built some trucks and buddies of mine and, you know, my dad and I, and we wanted to race them and, and get them to go faster and, you know, try to figure out how we can make them better at the sport. And you went to the magazine store back then it was Borders, Barnes and Nobles or Publix, whatever it was. And you grab a magazine and all there was, was content on rock crawling out West or, 
maybe you had desert racing in the desert. Like there was no real magazine dedicated to that sport. And I said, well, how hard can that really be? I mean, it really, it's just a bunch of pictures and some words. I was halfway decent in, in, uh, in, in school with English. So I can figure this out. And, you know, we, uh, we decided to launch a magazine, having no knowledge and ever launching a magazine in my life or running a magazine outside of me going and buying one from a store. Uh, realized really quickly after we published the first first issue, you kind of need advertising clients and subscribers to really do anything with it. Uh, so essentially all we had was a really nice, pretty picture book um, that, uh, that we uh, initially published. Um, I think it was in August of 2008, uh, maybe, maybe seven. Um, and, and from there, you know, we went sort of off to how do we sell this thing? So we started off hawking like hot dog vendors at events, you know, $3 a copy, $3 a copy, you know, it was costing us, you know, 60 cents to print. So it was a good, good markup, good margin. Um, but that was a really slow going, slow going process, traveling to events, having a set of tents. Uh, and then, you know, from there over the course of, you know, negotiation, research and trying to figure out what really was our next path, we kind of got, uh, kind of got some distribution, got some legs under us, took the magazine brand itself as a magazine into about 16,000 stores around the country. And then with that, we built a, um, a brand, right. You know, so one of my key elements of that I always kind of turn to when I build companies is don't just build the business, build the brand behind the business, right? The business will kind of follow. Uh, and that this is a true example. I mean, Mudlife had an online merchandising business. We were, you know, running around the you know the country in a big motorhome and touring rigs, doing events nationally. So when I say media business, it was more of a media company. Um, magazines were a portion of that, but we built the brand, the Mudlife brand. I mean, back we had a million followers back in two thousand eight and nine. And a million followers on Facebook was. Wow, was a real thing. You couldn't buy them back then, right? You could, it wasn't like you couldn't even advertise on, on Facebook back then. It was just a place for social networking. And and so really, it, we caught the radar of one of the biggest publishers uh, in the country, which was Source and Link Media. Um, and they wound up acquiring the business and setting on my next, ne- next career path. But, you know, that was kind of my, my first company. Well, let's talk about branding for a little bit. It's something I'd like to learn personally more about. You, you hear about it a lot. It makes sense on the on the onset of like, yeah, that makes sense. We should not just build the business. It'd be easier to build a brand that people are aware of and follow and, you know, you make a sale from there. But when you actually go to do it, it then feels kind of daunting and ambiguous and like, well, what does that mean? So I'd, I'd just be curious when you like when we when you say build a brand, what do you mean by that and how do you go about doing that? For sure. So, I mean, every brand has a story, right? So the customers relate to that story, whether it be in the magazine world, you know, our story was we, we built a brand around a passion or a lifestyle. It was a lifestyle brand. Um, you know, in the HVAC sector, which we're currently in now, our brand is tied to, you know, our ability to perform for our customers and and, and, and the background of my father being in the HVAC sector. And so the, the key to building, in, in my mind, anyways, a, a sustainable and successful company is not just opening a shop and a sign on the door and saying, "Hey, we're here to business." It's how we can attract customers. How do we how do we endear these customers to our brand and build lifelong customers? Um, and that's kind of what we've, we've done. I mean, you, you got to figure out what the brand story is. You got to figure out how you connect that brand story to your customer. How to continue the engagement, you know, after you get them. How to keep them engaged. Um, and those are kind of the elements that we I've always from this business, the previous businesses, and to hopefully businesses in the future. I, I kind of tie back to that, right? Build the brand. And then build a business, right? What's the brand going to be? What's that story about that brand? What's going to help build that attractive character, right, for your customer to, to relate to? Uh, and then from there, you, you you move you move the business forward. I love the idea of the brand story. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? If someone's, you know, they got their business, they have their service, you know, but they don't really, they've never thought like, what's my story, 
right? What's the, what are we communicating, I guess, to, to our audience about who we are? Uh, how do we go about doing that? I mean, again, every major company has a brand story, right? I mean, look at Amazon. The guy started out a, a small, you know, shop and is selling magazines online. That's, that's Amazon's brand story. And people who know Amazon know that story. And so they endear themselves with this Jeff Bezos characters, just like Elon Musk. I mean, Elon Musk is this, you know, pseudo, you know, guy taking us all to Mars, right? But his story is he's, he's, a, he's a technology guy who started a business and had some success and they can relate to that story, right? Um, so you, you got to, every one of us, every business we own has a story. Why, what, what drove you to start the business? How can you, how can you relate that to your consumer? Or how, how do you, how do you endear that to your customer? Those are the, those are the elements yeah. of any good brand story. Um, the key element I think is the most successful is always kind of building that attractive character component, right? What's the attractive character? What 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 individual characteristic does the business have that are, that, that that the human emotion element can relate to on any consumer interaction, right? Um, you know, sometimes as businesses scale, you, you start to lose some of that kind of you know localized story. And the most successful companies, right, are really good at keeping that story alive as the business scales and grows. So, I mean, this, if you look at, again, I go back to Amazon, people still relate to Amazon from the biggest companies in the, in the world right now, even Apple, Steve Jobs, right? Like the, the brand story is he started this, this company and he, he went out, even when he left, he would steal that brand story. Even when he, he went up coming back as CEO, you know, a decade later, he was still that brand story. And so having to identify a brand story in any business you do is what helps build the brand. Yeah. One more question on that. You know, I've heard some people say that as important or maybe more important is being able to articulate the story of your customer, right? That if we think about like, who's the hero of the story, feeling like you can really articulate the story, the needs, the wants of the customer. Is that something you see that works in tandem? Like here's who we are and we know that story, but also we tell your story and use that language so that you feel known and seen and it's that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hundred percent. I mean, again, I think it all relates back to the overall overall vision of what the business is, is trying to, you know, personify, right? Because because that's why I look at companies, right? They're they're almost like I hate to say this cliche term, like kids, right? You gotta you gotta nurture them, you gotta grow them, you gotta you gotta kind of pivot them, teach them, and and then and, and show them the way of how to how to how to do things, um, and you know it's all the foundation of what you're, what you're building. Right. So the, if, 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 the, if you look at it overall from an architectural perspective of a house, the foundation of the, of the business, the house being the business, look at the foundation, that's your brand story. The slab is your brand story. You build everything else upon that. Right. And everything else kind of relates back to it, how you interact with your customers, what the customer journey looks like, right. What, what are your core values? How do you find your core values? You're just going to hop up on a, on a podium one day and tell the whole the whole company, hey, my core values are this. And you're going to go back like we did on the AirPros business and actually talk to individual regional managers or location managers and have them identify one person who personifies what they think AirPros is today, right? And we took that mm. those metrics and those those three elements they had to choose from every individual, put that into a big you know a big pile essentially, and identified what, what was the most common occurring theme of those of those elements. And that's how we got to our core values of our business. So brand story, foundation, core values, the wall, customers being the roof and they close everything in, right? So think of it from, going from a brand perspective. That's how I would look at it. Ah, I like that. And when you were doing the, the core values exercise, was that a, a version of kind of an EOS process? It sounds familiar to me. 
Yeah, listen, we're, we're big believers in the EOS process. I mean, it's, it's, it's helped our business really from a communication perspective, running at this current business, running, you know, 14 different locations, seven states, 600 plus employees, communications crucial to, you know, to, to, to being able to pivot and move and have an impact on, on our, on our daily operation. Um, and EOS really kind of helped us in that kind of conversation, right? Of how do you communicate? How do you, how do you hold accountability? How do you break through the glass ceiling? You know, let go of the vine, all those concepts are something that we felt, you know, when we, we went, from, we grew the business from zero, you know, five years ago, the company was, was literally growing up out of, out of our garage, right? Like my dad was my, yeah. my construction manager at a previous business of mine in the hospitality space. I'd sold my company and he goes, um, let's get an HVAC. And I didn't know the first thing about HVAC. I knew how to build companies, right? I knew what processes you wanted to establish and how we we're going to do this thing. And initially we started in the AirPros business by, Literally, it was one truck, one tech. My dad was in the field. I was answering the phone calls for him. Um, and, you know, I, again, not the first thing about HVAC, how to operate. We grew the business organically to about 10 million bucks in the first 24 months. And then we started acquiring and being very inquisitive. Uh, and today, the company, you know, as you mentioned in your opening, very eloquent opening statement, the company will, you know, be close to $165 million this year in revenue. And that's in five years. And I think it all ties back to the same philosophy I've used from day one is, you know, don't build just the business, build the brand. So, but yes, yeah. EOS has helped, has really helped us go from 40, $50 million in revenue to, you know, the next glass ceiling, which was getting over a hundred million bucks in revenue. How do we do that? How do, what processes do we need to do that? And how do we communicate those processes to our individual team members in different regions across the country? Well, walk me through those first two years. You know, th that, that fascinates me going from one, your dad, one tech, one truck, First, I would imagine part of it's just getting him enough business, right? Like, how do you even get those initial customers? But then what was the focus for you? Like, what were the key things that you had to focus on those first two years to take it from one tech, one truck to, you know, tens of millions of dollars in two years? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think if you had to go, if I had to go back in time and look at what steps we took to be successful in this, in this business, it was one, identifying who our ideal customer was early on. Like we weren't, we didn't set out to be the cheapest guy in town. And listen, do you want to be the cheapest guy in town? Is, is not a problem with that philosophy. You just got to know how to protect your margins, right? Because a race to the bottom isn't always a race you want to be in. Uh, we knew early on we want to be a premium provider. How do we set ourselves apart in being a premium provider? Uh, our initial marketing strategy was that of any new startup company, right? You're going to spend money and figure out what works and doesn't work. Uh, we found a lot of success with, you know, digital marketing efforts, um, you know, third-party marketing vendors. This is kind of predating that, which is now the norm in our industry on the home service side, which is, you know, GPLS and GMB and that kind of stuff. They were just kind of coming out with that. I mean, Google My Business existed, but not the scale it is today, five, six years ago. Um, but a lot of digital marketing efforts, PPC, uh, you know, social media was starting out a lot of advertising clients. Uh, and then we started scaling, you know, we started to figure out what marketing dollars actually had a good greater return of advertising spend. Uh, we built the sales process to kind of overlay on top of that because, you get the lead, that's great, but can you close on the lead, right? Can you actually convert the lead into dollars? Because we're just running leads all day without conversions, there's no point of marketing, right? So building the marketing strategy, back into the sales process, that took us to our organic growth methodology. Uh, and then we started being acquisitive as a business. That's interesting. I feel like many people start with an organic strategy and then eventually try to maybe figure out some version of a, you know, a digital marketing strategy or something. And you yeah. did the opposite. Yeah. Was that on purpose? Well, listen, I, in this business, right. You, it, it's, it's a, it's a demand based business, right? Although we, we say in the industry, our goal isn't to be weather dependent, be weather enhanced. 
let's face it, there's seasonality in the HVAC sector, right? I mean, there's depending on what region you're in, there could be dual seasonality. You could have a, a demand season in summer, a demand season in winter if you're, if you're in a hot and cold climate. Um, but more importantly, I think, you know, we we identified early on that, you know, digital marketing was our was our kind of our initial way to to drive the initial call volume. And after we got the call volume, how do we how do we keep those customers engaged? If it didn't, if it didn't convert, what, what was the customer journey after we got the customer? How do we stay in touch with them? How do we communicate with them? How do we keep them top of mind? So instead of going online and Googling, you know, AC repair, um, you know, or plumbing repair, whatever it is in the home service sector, they're Googling AirPros, building one of our brands now, right? So building that customer, again, building that brand story, building that customer relationship, and then keeping the customer engaged along the journey and knowing what funnel they fall into if they don't convert on the first visit or second visit or how many visits it takes to convert, um, what was crucial to our initial success. I love this conversation. I also realize it's kind of like a, a level 301 conversation. And so I'm trying to figure out if this is new, how to not lose somebody that's listening to this. And maybe where we go is, if this is maybe your first company you're building, you know yeah. you need marketing. You know you need to figure out a way to get known. You know, we talk about that often. It's like, you got to go from unknown to known. Yeah. Where at least people know you exist before they could even entertain choosing you over a competitor. Yeah. What would be the one or two things you'd make sure you do? And maybe what would be the one or two things that you'd want, you, you would avoid doing that you think is just a big trap or mistake that maybe people make? You know, I, I think where a lot of people, uh, I think that's a tough question, right? So I'm going to try to dissect it in, in a couple of different buckets. I, I think that, let's go to the things that I would, I would do, right? Um, on a new company, any new business you're going to start, no matter what it is, any sector you're going to be in, right? Understand what, what you, got, you got to set achievable goals. You know, I was on a call today with one of, with one of our team members and we talked about how, how, do, how do we drive performance on a daily basis? It's taking small bites out of the pie. Don't set a goal that's going to be, you know, a six-month target. Set daily targets. What's a daily win? How do you win today? What metrics can you drive in the business to have a win today? Whether it be an extra customer you call or an extra sale you close or an extra lead you convert or an extra piece of clothing you merchandise, whatever it is, what any business you're in, set set daily achievable goals, right? Because sure, it's great to have a six-month plan, a 12-month plan, a 24-month plan. It's everybody wants to have it, right? I want to be $10 million in 24 months. It's a great plan to have, right? But understanding how to how to move the needle every single day, whether it be just one one percentage or half a percentage point of increase, that, that over a period of time expounds it, it, it upon itself, right? It becomes it becomes now it's two percent, now it's three percent. You're seeing that growth. I think it's one advice I'd give a younger version of me is don't look at you know don't look at the forest of the trees, like, like understand what the whole forest is and then slowly take a tree at a time. You know what I mean? Um, to move through the forest. Yeah. Um, I, I think another thing is, is, you know, you're going to take some risk. I mean, any company you start, you know, the, the guys who don't take the risk usually don't do anything, right? Like let's be transparent. It's going to take, it's going to take time, energy, maybe money. And if you don't have money, there's other ways to, to do things that don't cost money to market, go knock on doors, go visit, you know, uh, we no magazine business days. We didn't have a bunch of money. We literally got went to events, paid entry fee, and walked around with magazines and sold them literally person to person, like a hot dog vendor for three dollars. Right. So you know, it's 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 not. There's no secret sauce. The only thing I would tell you is it's hard work. Like you got to be able to put the effort in. Those who put the effort are going to see the reward. It's like it's like you know, diamonds are made with consistent pressure over time. Right. It's not, you, you don't walk into a diamond mine one day and say, oh, I found a bunch of diamonds. No, it takes millions and billions of years of consistent pressure 
And business is the same way. It's consistent pressure. It's consistent effort over time. And it, it's, it's, it's the little things like back in the magazine days. I mean, when I opened the, the magazine business, it was walking around to events and passing them out, going to trade shows and knocking and dropping my card off. Hey, how do I get you to advertise in this magazine? Oh, well, how many subscribers do you have? Well, you know, I don't have a whole bunch, but I guarantee we're going to have some one day. And having to have that conversation and connecting with that individual, you know, really helped drive our initial growth. I mean, I guess the other piece of advice that I, I would give for those starting out is perceptions, everything. Where I'll tell you a quick, mm. quick story, if you don't mind, um, on perception. Yeah, please. You know, we, we used to, magazine business, we show up to these events and, and at the time we didn't have a whole bunch of capital. So we had these, had this little old converted trailer, right? It started off as a pop-up tent with some iron-on shirts. Eventually I got this trailer, but I was a big time. It was like a 1989, a little window that popped up out of the side, we had a sticker on the side that said Mud Life. I remember going to this event, we had a table set up and we're selling, you know, $25 subscriptions, right? And it was 25 bucks. And back then, I mean, give a guy 25 bucks. We're only a biannual or a bi-monthly magazine. So you'd get a magazine if you missed a month, four months from now. So I had to have, these kind of had to trust us on getting us 25 bucks to get a subscription maybe four months from now, right? And I'm at this event and next thing you know, this big, big bus pulls in with a big trailer. It's beautiful looking. It's called Bucked Up. B-U-C-K-E-D up. And it was a clothing merchandise brand with a, with a, with a deer head. I think I thought it was the goofiest name of all time. People, people love the brand. And, you know, they were, it was just literally a deer head called bucked up on it with shirt and they had TVs. And I was like, man, these guys really got it going on. Everybody's coming around this vehicle because it was perception. There was some big, cool company. So I said, okay, let me figure this out. So I went and got a loan. I bought a motorhome and a, and a bigger trailer. And we went to another event. We had a similar trailer to that. And I, I couldn't afford the damn thing unless we sold magazines, right? So, like, I'm like, hopefully we sell some at this event. We can't, we sure as hell can't afford this stupid trailer and bus. And, uh, and you know, we, we set up and we sold out. And to the consumer, it was perception. The consumer didn't know that at the time, me selling out of that little trailer I owned free and clear, had no debt on them, they were more likely to get a magazine yeah. than me going and showing up in this massive RV that cost me $5,000 a month. But I don't know if I can make the payment on them. Right. Uh, but the consumer, they thought we were bigger than we actually were. And they trusted us at that point. See what I'm saying? So, yeah. so perception yeah. is everything, whether you perceive you bigger than you are, or you're perceiving, you know, uh, a big brand. So telling that brand story and how you're marketing that brand is so important because consumer perception is everything. We, we, the customer is less likely follow me here, to get that magazine from that massive bus I bought than it was from that stupid trailer I paid, you know, $2,000 for, you know, so. Kind of went off on a tangent there, and I apologize. No, no, it's not. I mean, it's it's kind of the reality of playing the game, almost like understanding psychology and using it. It, it obviously it, it blurs a line, you know, and where where are we lying and manipulating versus just understanding perception, like just understanding that, hey man, that's more attractive than this. This implies that we know what we're doing better than this implies that we don't know what we're doing. 100%. Right? There was, there was, so, the customer didn't ask, like, what's your monthly payment on this motorhome trailer? The customer saw a big bus and a big, you know, trailer and wrapped and it was attractive and it was, it was perception. And perception becomes yeah. reality for those who are perceiving it. Do you know what I mean? So. Yep. Yeah. Man, building, so you're setting out, to tie that back to your question earlier, when you're setting out to build the brand and lay the foundation and build the story, build the perception, build Here's what, here's what I want the brand to represent. Here's what I want the brand to look at and feel like in the marketplace. Here's how we're going to do it, right? 
And it's the little things, man. It, it's, it's, you know, if you're going to say you're opening up a clothing line, remember you're putting out flyers, you're merchandising. I remember back in the bar business, we used to fly our cars all over the place. We'd have, we'd wrap a truck. You know, we, no one knew the truck was a leased truck. We wrap a truck and put our logo on the side and drive it around downtown. I mean, all these different things create that consumer perception. Oh my God, this is the place I want to be at. You know what I mean? We're getting that right photo at the right time when the line's out the door at the nightclub and you're like, oh my God, no one knows the club just opened and it's at 8, 8 p.m. at night and there's a line because they're just opening the door, but it creates that perception, right? People think, oh my God, the place packed. I want to be involved in that. And that's always worked for us. Yeah. Do you ever see any, and if the answer is no, that's completely fine. I'm always curious about this though. Do you ever see any common traps where, you know, someone, we get fooled into believing, Hey, it's this easy or just do this. And people waste money type thing. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the, the biggest thing that I see a lot of, a lot of companies early on, and I've helped, you know, a dozen of them is, is, you know, and it's a no knock to advertising agencies or whatever it is, right. Is, is, you know, they don't know what they're getting into, right? Advertising isn't a one shoe fits all concept. There's different elements that drive different portions of every, every business segment, right? Like, so I think the biggest thing that I would see is, is that, um, you know, consumers or, or business owners who are launching, right. Don't understand how to actually market. And I would say, go to that agency and market through an ad agency, probably the best thing you can do, but understand what the deliverables are. And that goes for any aspect of the business. What are deliverables, right? Whether it be your team, what, what action have you taken to win? The ad agency, what are we going to do to create more call volume? Here's my budget. What can we do? And having those open, honest conversations, I think that's probably the only, only I wouldn't call it a trap, but I think mis, mis, you know, misconception uh, maybe is, is a better term for that. Yeah. Um, you know, but hope, you know, and then I think the other thing that I think business owners probably focus on early on is understanding what, what KPIs actually drive the business, right? Like what, what we talked about this earlier about daily performance, but daily KPIs, like what, what can you look at? If it's a online business where you're selling merchandise online, how can, how can I improve visits daily? How do I track my daily and KPIs for those who don't know are key performance indicators, obviously. Um, some people don't need, but try not to have a 301 version of the class, yeah, yeah. right? But a 101 business uh, is understand what your KPIs are. Yeah. I heard it. I can't remember where I was listening to this but it made a lot of sense they were talking about often i think they were using the example of tech companies but I, I, it's got or you know, kind of start up tech companies that kind of thing but it, i'm sure it applies across the board that we can unknowingly get caught up in vanity metrics instead of like actually useful metrics so it sounds good it looks good that we did this much revenue or you know whatever it is but that what we should really be paying attention to is that we were losing money even though we were making that much revenue Right. Or that our cost, our cost to acquire a customer was way too high, higher than it should be. And yeah. knowing what to look at. Right. I see it all the time. The companies we buy. Right. And we, and we actually wind up killing a lot of revenue and businesses on purpose because bad revenue. Right. Like revenue is vanity. Profitability is sanity. And that's I know it's a cliche term in, in kind of the business world. But it's a true I statement. Like that. Like people will go out there and do a job. Let's use a roofing job, for example. They want a big commercial client. It's going to be a $150,000 job. I'm going to make 5,000 bucks, but I'm going to get 150,000 in revenue. Man, that's so cool, right? But how many jobs can you do for 25 grand to do 5,000 bucks? Take you half the time, right? One half the headache. And how many, and how much faster can you do those jobs? You see what I'm saying? So yeah, it, yeah. your point, you know, identifying what actually makes the most sense in every business uh, and how you can drive 
the, the profitability of that business on not just having revenue metrics being here when you're tracking is super important. What are some of the things that you've been able to do with air pros that has helped you, you increase or be cognizant of the, the profitability of your services? I mean, there's, certain, there's obviously certain KPIs we manage, right? One of the things that I do in all my companies is I don't like, I, you know, I, I liken it to driving the bus, looking out the front windshield. So our teams provide, we, we built out and obviously proprietary dashboards and so on and so forth. But we, we have the ability to, to drive the bus looking forward, not in reverse. So most companies, you know, at the end, end of the month, three or four weeks later, you get a P&L statement from your accountant or your bookkeeper or whoever's running your books saying, hey, here's how you performed. Well, guess what? The month's gone, right? If you already passed it, if you're over material margin line, if your labor costs are too high, your direct expenses, indirect, whatever they are, are out of whack, you can't have an impact on those. You have an impact every single day, right? So how do you impact that every day? So we get daily reports, certain KPIs that help us drive our business, direct labor costs, material margin controls, indirect labor costs, how, how, how we're trending on those, on those certain metrics, turnover ratios, closing rates per different business segment. I mean, those kind of, obviously it's, it's, it's specific to the air pros industry, but at business and whole, I mean, I think it's important to understand that, that understanding what your daily KPI metrics are that can have an impact on the business every day should be managed. Weekly, yeah. Yeah. Two months after the month end. I like that a lot. The idea of looking not just in the rear view mirror, but finding ways to regularly. Yeah. Down at the front windshield. How yep. far ahead do you, do you try to look out the front windshield? So obviously, you know, we have our forecasting boards for call volumes and call counts that tie into the marketing teams and they, they plan based on what's happening there. But I mean, we're looking out, I think our front windshield obviously extends out a period of time. What's most important for me is how we did today. What is, what is, how are we trending in today? Mm. At the end of the day, where, where are we at for our, rev, for our revenue metrics against our material costs and margin control profiles? And how do we have an impact on that today for, and tomorrow? And how do we set ourselves up for success the following days to come? So if you're trending yeah. you know, over on direct labor costs, what's having that impact? If your material costs are rising, because we're seeing those transactions in real time, how do you have a direct impact? How do you fix that, right? Is it a sales process issue? Is it a buying process issue? Let's go and identify what that is so you can have the impact on fixing it. Do you have time set aside for yourself or with a, with a, a select few people where you are getting to, you know, as we would say, work on the business versus work in the business? Is you know, it's really easy for the founder or, you know, the top leadership team to get just so caught up in reacting to what's happening that they don't even get the, or they, they don't see the opportunity to stop and even ask the questions. Why, why is this happening? What's going on? Where are we going? Is that something that you carve out on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis type thing? Yeah. So, you know, I, I we've been fortunate enough that I've actually, you know, recently um, stepped down as CEO of AirPros and uh, brought in an industry expert who's, you know, it was more of a self-awareness thing for me. I, my, my creativity is obviously scaling and building companies. And this individual has run, you know, companies four, five, six times the size of AirPros. So I've stepped into the chief growth officer role now, which is fantastic and I love cool. it. It allows me to really focus on growing the business. But to your point, one of the things that I focused on early on was getting myself out of the business to work on the business, not in the business. And how you do that, it's just everybody has their own nuances, right? But it's, 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 it's empowering certain people, right, operationally to actually have a, have a metric they're held accountable to and they run against that metric. The biggest misconception is that we have as leaders and you know, of any business owner 
is, oh, I want this great guy. He's good at what he does. And he works like a competitor and throw him in, let him, let him kind of fend for himself, right? That, that is the worst thing you can do. You got to show him the why and the how, right? So why do we do things? That's the first very lesson of teaching. Why are we going to do it this way? Then you give them the how. Here's how we're going to do it. And it's a, I show you, you show me, we do it together. You do it by yourself kind of concept. But that's really been enabled me early on, take a step back and work on the business, not in the business, which has helped us scale the business so quickly. Uh, that's brilliant. And you, you obviously are showing some uh, real know-how in even the process of apprenticing somebody is the language we would use into the thing you're asking them to do that. I show you, we do it together. Now you do it, but I help, right? Like yep. that's language we use in coaching all the time. Uh, but that's foreign to a lot of people. They, I see a trap of either out of fear, you know, fear of losing control or fear of someone failing. They hold on to things too long or they just give it to someone and kind of, you know, like in golf, we'd say like hit and pray, right? Just like, all right, here you go. Hope you yeah, do okay. Yeah. And in the business culture, we see all the time, like even as a coach, you called in, hey, fix this. What, what is this? And what do you want fixed? And really, it shouldn't be a coach fixing it. It should be, hey, here's how I would do this. Here's how I would handle this. And here's how you can fix it yourself, right? It's, it's again, the why the how factor. But, you know, I was guilty of it. You know, you, you, you get in a business where you get a guy's resume. He looks fantastic. It's okay. I want him to run my operations. The guy doesn't know your business or your nuances. He's knowing about the company. He's come in and say, and listen, you may be a rock star. You may be lucky. One out of a million. And the guy goes out and he can do it. But giving him certain metrics to manage to and to be held accountable to is, is crucial. That's how you work on the business, not in the business. you got to build a team that you can hold accountable to certain metrics, right? Let them be managed those metrics. The numbers speak for themselves, right? If they come in and they have certain things they're responsible for and you hold them to those certain elements, whether it be in our industry, you know, sales performance revenue, whether it be, you know, material control costs, whatever they are, whatever the position they're in, that really is what helps scale the company. Yeah. I want to pivot just really quickly because I, I know in the little bit of research we were able to do on you that part of your growth has been through uh, acquisition, yeah. right? Like knowing uh, how to buy the right companies and bring them into to what you're doing. And that's a very difficult game uh, yeah. that has a very low success rate. So I'd love to learn anything I can from you about that and for our, our audience as well. Like, how do you approach it? How do you think about it? Um, if If someone listening to this is thinking, I'm not, I've not done that yet, but maybe part of my growth would be through this acquisition game. I'd love to have a conversation about that. You know, obviously having initially started you know, buying companies early on in the AirPros business, one of the things I like to tell my friends all the time I talk to, you know, they always say, well, how do you negotiate these deals? I said, listen, it's a common analogy or common adage, right? You don't get what you don't ask for, right? So a lot, a lot of people have the fear of just asking, right? I mean, a lot of my early successes in buying businesses are me just cold calling people and saying, hey, mm -hmm. this is kind of an off-the-cuff question, but would you be interested in selling your company? And once you get that kind of, yeah, I'd look at it. And then it's your job to figure out how to strategize and how to buy it. And I bought in companies using no capital. And I'm not some you know, snake oil salesman that's going to say, hey, there's a methodology to doing that. It's, there's a certain certain process of how you have to do it, right? Like it's, 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 it's building trust with with the party you're trying to acquire, right? Having shown him how how you can either if you want to stay on, which we've done, or you want to exit, how you can pay him over time, right? But I, I've literally have bought in companies using no, no capital early on in the business, wow. or even even buying you know assets of companies that are defunct, customer phone lists, uh, trucks, telephone numbers, 
things like that that are creative deals that can generate lead volume, call volume, customer volume that typically you wouldn't see, um, you know, organically. It's an inorganic, you know, asset. What what are, what are you looking at in a company like that that helps you decide that's one I want to approach and, and offer to buy versus that's one I want to stay away from? Well, so it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Like for us right now, it's about building density in markets that we're already in. Um, backfilling some of the existing footprint that we have currently, and obviously expanding upon our overall geographic footprint, which is our target. Um, but you know, it depends on again how you're buying the business, what the purpose of the acquisition will be. Uh, so it's not really one kind of set rule associated with that. But you know, I, for us in this industry, we look at customer counts, uh, age of business, um, number of phone calls average per day. You know, does the management team want to stay on? Are they interested in staying on? Uh, are they in a creative deal from a local geography perspective? Are they in a geo that we like, you know, from a regionality perspective? I mean, it's different. Every deal's different. Um, and again, that, that's that's where I get my creative passion from. I, I love doing deals. I mean, it's just deal structuring, you know, acquisitions, M and A. It's kind of one of my strong suits. Do some of them stay under their own? Continue to operate under their own kind of brand and brand identity, or do they all get brought into the air? Yeah, so I I, uh, I I am a I am a big believer in being brand agnostic. You know, as long as our we're, we're real integrators, we actually integrate these companies from a you know sales process perspective, fleet perspective, a payroll, HR, back office. I, I'm not one that has to be everybody has to be an AirPros brand because these companies you're acquiring, if they have any brand value, they've been establishing and pumping thousands of dollars into the market That's what I was for, for years. Why change that? Right. I don't have to have my name on the yeah. court, matter, you know, masthead to say to make me feel good. I mean, it's more, hey, this company's been in business for you know 25 years in this market. Maybe they're small, but they people have rec- brand recognition. What else are you buying if not that? You know? Yeah. And that's what I was wondering when you were talking about looking at the average calls they're getting per day. And I'm like, well, if it's a good bu- business worth buying, they've already gotten the marketing where people know them and are calling them. And so that's why I was curious what you guys did with yeah. that. 100%. Um that's smart. That's smart. Um, man, do some of them get brought in like almost like a true merger? Do some of them get, get brought into the air pros brand and do you have to work on how do we actually assimilate and blend the cultures and any of that stuff? Or you do, do you stay away from all, all that? Yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's a mixture of, uh, of both thing on the market that you're in. I mean, every market is, is different. Every, every deal is different. If it's, if it's big enough, uh, we can let it be a standalone. If it's, if it's too small, we may tuck it into a local branch um, that's already in existence. This all depends on the different markets that we're operating in. Okay. I love that. And if you were to go back now, as we're kind of talking through your whole story, if you were to go back now, and let's say you were early 20s, and today is the day that you're starting a business, right? In this day and age with this technology, but also maybe with its current challenges or markets or whatever, um, how would you think about starting a business today? I don't think daunting based on. I think today more okay. than ever, people have more resources to start a business than they have in the past. I mean, the power of social media is such a, you know, more powerful today than it was ten years ago, than it was five years ago. I mean, it just keeps becoming such a bigger influence in our daily lives. And I think that the ability to start companies today, um, you know, far far greater than they were me 20 years ago, which I'm, I'm 35, right? So 15 years ago, I started the magazine 16, 17 years ago. We didn't have what we have today. And if I had, I can only imagine what we would have done back then. 
with the power of social media now. You know, it's it's a it's it's a crazy time, man. I mean, the resources out there, the ability to garner information, the ability to get great podcasts like yours and and listen and hear hear stories. And I guess one of the biggest things that I I looked at early on, you know, reading a lot of books on on how to build companies and you know, good to great and you know, all the stuff on traction and, and Gina Wickman and you know, those things are. At, at your fingertips now, you know, like the, the yeah. information super highway is so accessible that it wasn't, wasn't that way, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago. So I think now that yeah. ever the, the ability to get knowledge and, 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 and obtain knowledge on how to do certain things is far superior than it was. I, mean, I, just, I, I wish I learned a program, you know, 20 years ago, you know, how to write code. I mean, now they have, they have schools out there where kids learn how to write code, like it's a second language, you know? So it's just, it's yeah. uh, it's it's crazy. It's crazy how how, how fast and how, how how far we've come in just short time since I've been operating business. What's something in the maybe in the last year or so that has particularly helped you that you've that you've read or learned from somebody? Uh, I'm always loving to collect just whether it's for you personally, you know, it's something that like helped you grow personally or professionally. Uh, is a certain book or author or uh, thing helped you recently? Yeah, I mean, I think in the, I probably got to go back 18 months, we really kind of dove into the traction book um, and Gina Wickman's book on traction, the US methodologies and that kind of stuff. Um, I think, you know, we brought in a, a individual in our organization on the HR side who was a big, big US follower, uh, implementer of it. Um, you know, I think that's really had an impact on us uh, and how we communicate. So I think if I had to give any piece of advice, it'd be to read the book Traction. I also really like The One Minute Manager. Um, and then mm-hmm. Raving Fans, probably my top three. They're actually required to come work here at this business at AirPros. Uh, from any, any leadership level, individuals have to read those three books. I love that, especially with your your unique, the, the industry you're in and the customer service type. Yeah, I could totally see, especially the Raving Fans being being critical. So I, I love that. We're going to make sure that gets on our book list that we send out and recommend to people. Uh, that's awesome, man. Well, I want to be cognizant of your time. Um, and so we're going to go and do the lightning round questions for you. These are five questions that we've asked every founder and would love to ask you as well. So, uh, the first would be, uh, if you could, if you could go back, we're going to start with the creative question. If you could go back in a time machine, you get to get into a DeLorean, right? You're not there to change your past, your, you know, all that kind of stuff, but you get to go back and deliver a message to that younger version of you. What would you pass along to that younger version of yourself? So we're going back in time for a younger version of me giving myself a message, correct? Correct. I I would say learn how to write some damn code. <laughs> no, totally, 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 totally kidding. I, I listen, I would say don't be afraid to take risk. I mean, you know, I, I don't think I've ever been super afraid to do it, but there has been times and, and, and learn to say no. You know, it's a really smart um uh, CEO buddy of mine, um, Tom Dieters, he, he ran We Do Publications for many years. One of the biggest pieces of advice, and I'll tell you a quick story, is you know, we, we, we Do Publications grew up and they blew up and they were getting a lot of requests to do We Do Shops and We Do Skis and We Do whatever, right? Joe We Do back in the day. One of the things he, he learned pretty quickly was to learn to say no. And it's almost counterintuitive as an entrepreneur. You always want to say yes, right? You're just Glass always half half empty, half full. Super optimistic, but you'll learn learn to say no sometimes. Not every opportunity is an opportunity. Love that. All right. Question number two: If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization from top to bottom, right? 
Think about like a billboard. They pass by every day and they see the same message until it gets in their blood. What would that message be that you'd want them to have ingrained in them? So we, we have that message in every office <laughs> and uh, it's called, Perfect. it's called our customers are our business. And we have two customers in our world, internal customers and external customers. Our external customers are the one we serve every day. And our job is to deliver five-star quality service and, and make sure they're happy. And, but we also have internal customers, which are individual team members that we serve every day as well. And so I'm a true believer. It's one of our core you know, founding elements of our business is our customers truly are a business. And as cliche as that sounds, it's a real statement and it's in every building we have. Yeah, that's so good. All right, question number three is oh, i just lost it there it is what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business and what was the worst advice you got best advice if i had to back to my tom Dieter's buddy of mine who gave me the advice of no right learn to say no because we like all entrepreneurs we see a new shiny object you want to go after it and attract it and attack it and oh cool new opportunity let's go kind of run down the segment so learning to say no is probably the best advice i got um worst advice worst advice uh, I don't know if I, I, it's probably a tricky one, man. I don't know if I have a worst advice I've ever gotten. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank on that one. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's all good. So you probably like most, uh, most founders I've talked to have intentionally blocked that out. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't recall. It's like, ah, I didn't even pay attention to it. It went out in one year, not without the other. Um, all right. Question number four. What currently is causing you the most stress or worry uh, leading this organization? You know, I, I think having the self-awareness to realize that it's, it was time for me to kind of step, step, step aside and bring in some, obviously, a lot smarter people than I am um, to keep growing the business from an organizational perspective. I don't think it was stress. I don't have that stress or worry anymore, but I think that was definitely a big decision for me about six months ago. And so bringing in a CEO and you know, a true COO and a true CFO was probably my biggest stress or worrying point this year. Um, and I, I think we get to know them ahead. We're great team members and super ecstatic about what they're doing and, and our continued growth in the organization. Heck yeah. That's awesome. All right, buddy. And our last question for you before we let you go is what's the BHAG for this business? What's the big, hairy, audacious goal in the future for what you're building here? I, my, my goal is to, oh, it's actually two, twofold. I mean, we want to get to a billion dollars in revenue, but I also want to have a location with the net with one out of every major metro in the U.S. is our target. So on, on AirPros, our goal is to be the biggest home service company in the country. Um, it's a big goal. Um, but I think we're the right team, the right structure, the right, you know, processes to get us there. Awesome. Anthony, this has been fantastic. If you're a business leader, go follow him, connect with him. If you need HVAC services, obviously check out air pros, go, go AirProsUSA.com. Right? <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, buddy, thank you for your time. I appreciate you being here and sharing your story and your wisdom with us. It's been a pleasure. Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.